Well, it's great to see each one of y'all here tonight. We got folks scattered all over. I know they're using some extra workers and all, and uh, but we miss uh, miss them when they're not here. But know that there there's kids going on and youth going on and choir going on and all kinds of things. And uh, we're in the book of Joshua still. We're up to chapter 11, and we'll actually 11, 12, and 13. We'll cover and we'll hit chapter 14 Sunday morning. Uh, we, we've heard it said, the Bible has told us before, and, and we thank God for that, to obey is better than to sacrifice. But a lot of times we spend our time thinking about sacrifice when God says all along, look, I'd rather you just obey. I'd rather you do what I said do. Uh, the outstanding feature in the conquest of, Georgia, of uh, Joshua was his absolute obedience uh, to the to the, uh, to the Lord and the general of his armies. He fought when he was told to fight. In uh, chapter 11, uh, let me see, along about uh, verse 6, the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up all slain before Israel. Thou shalt hoe their horses and burn their chariots with fire. I would to God that we were as willing to obey as what Joshua was. When God said, do it, he didn't say, now, Lord, now let's think about this. Let's pray about this. Lord, are you sure this is what you want me to do? He just went and he did what God told him to do. In these chapters, the, the southern part, Jericho, Ai, the Gibeonites, all of the southern part has been won. It's been taken over. Now Joshua moves to the northern kingdom. And in this northern kingdom, sometimes here in Joshua, you think that just happened overnight or a couple of days or a week. But it actually took Joshua seven years, seven years to defeat the northern kingdom here. So it's not a cakewalk. Uh, I want to tell you the word of God gives us time and time uh, records of people who pressed on and who persevered. And, uh, you know... Uh, you, you just don't read anything about how, like in a race, you just don't read much about how many people started good. I mean, it's easy to start a race. What the important thing is is that you finish the race. Uh, anybody can start a race, but however, I have looked up, not, not for me, I used to run a little bit, uh, but not a whole lot, but I, I got, there was a time in my life when I normally ran seven, eight, ten miles a day, uh, every other day or so, with some men who shamed me into it. I'm not sure. I think that's why my knees are so weak now, because I did all of that then. Uh, but uh, uh, I have done some research, and they spend hours upon hours trying to make sure they take off like they're supposed to. I mean, to, to begin the race, uh, <laughs> to be obedient in the midst of dangers, Joshua was doing that. He was not given uh, light things to do. I want to tell you, he faced some heavy things. Uh, he went through some heavy things, but he was obedient in the midst uh, of danger. Uh, he was obedient without delay. When God ordered Joshua to fight, he fought. His obedience was, was a prompt. He, uh, he didn't wait around. He didn't wait to see who was going to do anything. He was the kind of guy that really honestly, it didn't matter what Reader's Digest said about him. It didn't matter what the Canaanite News Network said about him. 
It didn't matter what anybody else said about him. All that mattered to him was to please the one who had, who had given him salvation and freedom. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. It's vital to obey. Uh, and then he, his obedience was in detail. You know, when, when somebody comes and I said, did you do that? Well, uh, you know, almost. Well, partial obedience is disobedience. It, it, I mean, it's, it, it, there's no other way to look at it. You say, well, I, I almost obeyed. I, I obeyed most of it. That means you didn't obey. Uh, partial obedience means that you're disobedient. Joshua was not like that. And then, uh, you know, be honest. I mean, uh, we, we don't mind obeying if, if we like it. But Joshua was willing to obey even if he didn't like it. Even if he didn't think this is not going to work. Don't tell me he's a general and, and he's going to march around a city seven times and this is God's plan. Man. He, he, but he obeyed. He obeyed. And then obedience in its rewards. Chapter after chapter in the book of Joshua relates how Israel and Joshua obeyed the Lord and then the Lord crowned their battles there. And uh, the, the, the thing, you think with all that success, they'd never go against the Lord. <laughs> but they go against the Lord all the time. I mean, it's a cycle over and over again here. Now, just looking at it, beginning in verse 1 of Joshua, chapter 11. It came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazor, had heard those things that he sent to Joab, Jobab, king of Maiden, and to the king of Shimron, and to the king of, of Akshath, and to the kings that were on the north of the mountains, and of the plain south of Chinneroth, and in the valley, and in the borders of Dor on the west, and to the Canaanite on the east and on the west, and to the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, in the mountains, and to the Hivite under her Hermon in the land of Mizpah. So, Notice with me, first of all, that there is union, uh, union and uh, uh, when you're in union together, there's strength. When you're not in union together, there's not strength. But there's strength. That these people have one mind, and they shall give their power and their strength. And it's interesting to observe here how one king collected all of these other kings to try to help his purpose. And that was the overwhelming of the chosen people. Verse 10, uh, Hazor was leading those up, and he had gathered all of these people. And uh, I can't remember exactly what the figures were, but this is the biggest war Joshua's ever fought. There's like 300,000 foot soldiers against him. There's another 100,000 uh, cavalry. And there's another 20,000 chariots. Joshua had never seen chariots before. They'd, no, none of these other people had used chariots. They'd gone up and surrounded the city. Now they're fixing to face a battle here. And they've got 300,000 uh, foot soldiers alone, plus the other ones there. And I want to tell you, it's not going to be no easy, easy fight whatsoever. You look at, um, at our world today, and, you know, people say... Uh, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm not, I don't want to get into politics, but they say, why don't we take this guy out? Just wipe him out. Well, we've done that before. Our country may never admit it, but we've done it. And usually the guy who takes his place is worse than the guy we wiped out. 
I mean, you knock one dictator down, there's going to come more, two, two more dictators coming up. And, and they're arising on every hand. These dictators of the ten kingdoms here, which are yet to, to arise, they're in the process of rising right now. And uh, they don't have any problem turning their whole authority over to one man. You say, well, what does that mean for us today? Well, I mean, I don't know whether it's going to be China. I, I just kind of thought to myself, what, what if? Somebody mentioned that here last week. What if Russia... China, Iran, North Korea, Pakistan, all of those countries decided we're going to mount up and attack the United States. Wow. Huh? I mean, we, we, better, have, we better have something in place, I can tell you that. We better have a lot in place. And, and I'm going to tell you, when somebody figures that they're fixing to get annihilated, they'll line up with anybody to try to line up. That's exactly what's happened here. These kings have seen what's happened down there in the southern part with uh, Jericho and Ai and all those other uh, cities down there. And now they're going to come together and they're going to put their power together. Uh, the Bible says in verse 10, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointed Christ. Uh, so we, we've got to have unity. I know people get tired of hearing me say that, but I want to tell you the greatest asset Woodland Hills Baptist Church has had over the last 13, 14 years is we have been one together. We're in unity. Now, I, I wish I could say everybody was in unity with us. Uh, we've lost people that didn't like the direction we were going. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I remember one time in my last church, uh, we, we were... We weren't quite as big as this now. We started there with 17 people, and one day my wife, she wasn't trying to be mean, but she said, do you know, if we had everybody you run off from here, we'd have 2,000 people in this church. <laughs> and I mean, you know, and I, I thought, well, you know, she's probably right. Uh, and, and then one night late in the morning in a prayer meeting, God said, son, I'm trying to help you out. When those people left, it wasn't a curse to you. It was a blessing to you. And I won't be honest, I, I love everybody, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you don't want to row the same way that we feel we need to row, you probably ought to take your boat somewhere else. Take your oars and go somewhere else. Because I'm telling you, these are last days we're living in. And we don't have time to do a lot of nitpicking and a lot of fighting and everything. We've got a goal to win everybody we can to Jesus Christ and stand on the Word of God. This whole world's changing, family's changing, church is changing, but the Word of God never changes. And I'm telling you in these last days, in the Southern Baptist Convention alone, more than half of our churches now don't even believe the Bible's the inerrant Word of God. That's the Southern Baptist. We're the most conservative group. You get over in the Episcopals and the Methodists, and they all just kind of laugh at it. We've got to be unified together. And then there's the numbers. Man, have mercy. Uh, that I've mentioned it before. Verse 4, they went out, all their hosts with them, as much even as the sand that's upon the seashore in multitude with horses and chariots, and very many of them there. Uh, there's one great thing in all of this, is there's more for us than there are for them. There's more for us. Now, I know... You know, it looks like the devil's winning. 
And I know sometimes it looks like we don't have a chance and it just gets disgusting and it gets frustrating. But I want to tell you, the bottom line is there's more for us. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. It may not be easy. It may not be a cakewalk or anything else. But I want to tell you, uh, we're going to win in the end. We're going to win in the end. The, the two hosts here, the wicked, many there be which go there and there. The righteous, few there be that find it. There's, listen, the truth of the matter is there's always been a vast majority of the earth's population that was on the devil's side. We're kidding ourselves to think we're even a Christian nation. Now, don't get mad at me. I mean, I, I want to be too, and I want to uphold those things too, but the, you, you're going to tell me that we have 300 and something million people, and on any given Sunday, not 15% of them are in the house of God somewhere, and we're a Christian nation? No. Man, we, 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 there's, the world's always had that. They've always had that. And then the chariots and the horsemen of Israel, 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, you remember when uh, Samuel uh, or Elisha was uh, uh, besieged there in Dothan. He went to Dothan and couldn't figure out why he went to Dothan. And Gehazi, the, the servant of Elijah, man, he, he woke up and here's all these chariots and things all surrounded him and everything. And he runs in and said, man, we've got a problem. We don't have a little problem. We've got a big problem. They're all over the place out here. And, and you remember what Elijah said? Lord, would you open his eyes and let him see what the real picture is? <laughs> and he came back and said, my soul, there's more for us than there are for them. That's the way it's going to be. I, I don't know what's going to happen to each one of us. We may have to go through a lot of hardships and different things, but I want to tell you, when it all blows over and all the end is there, I'm telling you, we're going to win. I was out at... Mr. Chucky's today, and he's just going down just really fast. And he, he walked in, I walked in, and he told me, he said, uh, I don't know if I really talked to Dan Templin last night or not, but he said, I'm, I'm liking Dan. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. And he asked me, he said, Brother Charles, is it wrong that I want to go home? I'm just tired of living here, and I want to go home. Is that wrong? I said, let me tell you something, Brother Chucky. It's not wrong. God gives us grace for every season. Now, there's a lot of people that want to do grace just like they did manna. Let's save it up. But there's only enough grace for today. It's the same way manna was. You only had the manna for today. You had to trust God you were going to have it for tomorrow. And that's the way grace is. I, I remember the story of the man that they said, we're going to uh, burn you at the stake unless you renounce Jesus. He, said, he knew he couldn't, he couldn't renounce Jesus. My goodness, the one who died for him on Calvary, I can't do that. So at supper that night when they brought his meal and slid it under the jail's uh, uh, door there, he thought, well, I'm going to be burned at the stake tomorrow. I'm going to go ahead and try to just see what it's like with fire. So he put his two fingers up to the fire and the candle. He couldn't keep them there a split second, and he jerked back. He said, there's no way. I, I, can't, I can't stand that. 
They can't burn me at the stake. I can't even put my finger over a candle fire. The next day they came and said, are you ready to renounce Jesus? He said, can't do it. Can't do it. They had the fire. He said, we're going to burn you at the stake. Stuck him up there, set the fire and everything. Last thing he was doing was lifting his hand, saying, thank you, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. You say, now, how can a guy in perfect peace burn literally to death on a cross and the night before he couldn't even put his hands in a candle it's called grace see god only gives you dying grace when you're ready to die that's why don't don't be afraid of dying you say well i i just don't know well you don't need to know you ain't dying yet when you die god will give you the grace to die that's what you need that day and that's what brother chucky has today he said i'm i'm ready i'm Man, my soul is ready. My heart's ready. I'm ready now. I've been in pain, and I'm ready to see the Lord. I'm ready to go. That's called dying grace. God gives us that grace. But it's only enough grace for, for right now. Uh, I don't have time to get into Armageddon and all of that here. But there's going to be a, the, the, the chapter 12, if you read that through, there's a, the chariots of the Syrians the noise and the horses and the noise of the great hosts there. And, and uh, you know, the same thing's going to happen on Armageddon when the Lord rides in on that white horse there. And it's going to be glorious. It's just going to be glorious. Then, then there's some divine certainties here. Verse 6 says, The Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them. Uh, for tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up all slain before Israel. Thou shalt hold their horses, and burn their chariots with fire. Man, be not afraid because of them. Man, I want to tell you, we, we have that same promise. You, you, you know why? And I don't, it's hard to preach Sunday night and Wednesday night on the same thing. But uh, basically, God delivered Joshua just like he's delivered us. Joshua was in Egypt. Egypt was once my home. I'm telling you, that old Goodman song fits in good right there. And literally, remember the death angel was coming, and 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 the angel and God said, "You put the blood, you kill the lamb, and put the blood over the doorpost." And He said, "When I see the blood, I'll pass over." Joshua had experienced all of that. How was he saved? Just like you and me, by the blood of the lamb. His blood was a sacrificial lamb. Our blood was the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb. Never has to be slain again. So with this, God speaks with authority and with assurance. And he said, tomorrow at this time, I'm going to hand all of them to you. They're all going to be dead. Wow. What, you see, the, the word of God is settled in heaven. It's, it's, it's not a prophecy. It's not a, a promise. Uh, everything's going to be fulfilled. What the Word of God says is already settled in heaven. It's already done. So as Joshua faced Hazor and these Confederate kings that he faced here, he faces them with certain victory. That's the same way we face life. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and we know 
that, that Jesus has already conquered death and hell, has the keys to them, and we're going to win. We've got certain victory. It's not hoping to be victorious. We are victorious already. He, <laughs> man, when God makes known to the king what's going to come, and the dream is certain, the interpretation is certain, man, have mercy. Uh, he, he faces that with no problem. He's got a rock-ribbed sureness uh, uh, of what is going to happen because the king is, is, is said it's going to happen. Uh, the Lord says it's going to happen. Now, the conquest of the conquered here in verse 8, the Bible says the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel who smote them and chased them unto great Zidon, unto Mesopotamia, and the, under the valley of Mizpah, eastward, and they smote them until they left none remaining. Wow. The verse says the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel and smote them and chased them until there's no more uh, there. I know what, what people are talking about when, when you say, boy, you, uh, you did a great job singing today, and people say, oh, it, it wasn't me, it, it was God. I, I know what they're talking about. We need to be humble before the Lord. But I want to tell you something. It's not God who puts those keys in the buses out there and cranks them up. It's you. God uses you, but you've got a choice whether you want to turn that key on and drive a bus and pick up kids or not. It's not God that stands up and teaches in front of a Sunday school class. God gives you the help, and it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that happens. But you've got a choice. You don't have to get up. There's a lot of people don't get up. You don't have to do that. We can never begin to rely on our own, but we must totally always be dependent upon God. But God, you know, I think we've gone through this before. I hear people say, you know, God won't use a dirty vessel. Well, what other kind of vessel is there? Who in here is not dirty? Who in here hadn't been in sin before? No, God will use a dirty vessel if it's been confessed and cleaned up. That's the key. He's not going to use somebody that's living in habitual sin. I learned a long time ago. And I learned it from, a, many of y'all know, Brother Jim Walsh. Uh, Brother Jim taught me in the 70s this one principle. You'll never be more for God in public than you are with him in private. And I'm going to tell you, I'd go in a revival meeting with old Jim Walsh, and I'd be trying to get music together, and old Jim, he wasn't worried about all that. All he'd do, pray. And he would walk all over the whole auditorium. I, I mean, we'd be, I'd be down at the altar kneeling. That's where we'd all start to pray. In a minute, I'd hear him up in the balcony. He'd be out in the side. He'd be praying. He just walked and prayed, walked and prayed, walked and prayed. Because he knew that's where the power comes from. So in Christ, Joshua overcomes. And in Christ, we must overcome too. We're more than conquerors when we're in Christ. Verse 11 of Joshua 11 talks about there's smoke of torment ascended up forever and ever. Uh, and, and there was none. Literally the other utter destruction at the coming of the Lord Second Thessalonians says that uh, the Lord Jesus being revealed from heaven with his angels and those who 
who don't obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ are going to be punished with everlasting destruction. I love what Brother Allen put on uh, Facebook today. Somebody, I forgot who it was, but somebody, and I know what they're talking about. The, the Pope has said there's no hell, and, you know, and Brother Allen put on there that it, the fact that he doesn't believe there's any hell is not any worse than the fact that he believes he's infallible. I mean, the Pope is the man. He tells God what to do. He gives out the instructions. So, I mean, that's not a, I mean, both of them are just wrong. I mean, they're both wrong. Uh, there is a hell. And I will tell you, uh, I, I know people don't want to hear it and they don't like to hear it, but uh, the only chance they've got of being saved are, is right now on the face of this earth. Because when they leave, I don't care what popular TV says, oh, yeah, you can, God's not going to annihilate anybody. No, he's not going to annihilate them. They're going to burn forever. Destruction's going to go on forever and forever and forever. Uh, the Lord, when he comes, is going to be taking vengeance. He's not coming back again as a baby in a manger. He's coming to rule this earth. And it's going to be just, and it's going to be quickly done. And, the, you know, the, the, the amazing thing is nobody's going to argue. They, they can't argue because he's completely truth. He's never sinned. He's never been wrong, ever. So there's no argument against his judgment. Then verse 15 says, I love this about Joshua. It says, the Lord commanded jo Moses, his servant, so did Moses command Joshua, and so did Joshua. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. He left nothing undone. Man, I go to bed every night thinking about what all is undone. <laughs> How could you be a man that left nothing undone? And yet that's exactly what God, you know, uh, we're reminded of, uh, of a man that, uh, uh, that told Jesus, uh, I'll go wherever you want to go, wherever. It, but Jesus looked deep in his heart, and uh, he knew that he would follow Jesus for the glory he could get out of it. Now, folks, I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on Wednesday night. But there's a lot of people in Christianity today. They're following the Lord if you'll keep them pumped up and you'll keep them patted on the back. But this guy says, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And remember what Jesus said? He said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. And then the other man who said, Suffer me first to go and bury my father. Remember what Jesus said, Let the dead bury the dead. Now we could dig into that and, and go deeper in that. But, but literally, I don't think Jesus is against burying our father or anything. I think the father's been sick and he's holding on. And he's going to hold on and use that as an excuse. And I want to tell you, I'll just be honest with you. I, I, I know I'm old-fashioned. I'm on my way out. I know that. I was in a meeting yesterday in Dallas, and I, t I told those guys, I said, you, you believe whatever you want to believe. But I'm just tired of hearing this rot about, well, I can't serve the Lord because of my family, and I've got to have my family first and all of this. That's not what the Bible says. 
Let me tell you, don't you think Jesus loves your family more than you do? The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You don't have to put that up. I know preachers today that, you know, they're, they're, they're taking off for everything in the world because they don't want to alarm their family. They don't want to alarm their family. I, I kept my family at the church all the time. We lived next door to the church until we moved here 13 years ago. Next door to it, right on the property. People said, that didn't drive you crazy? No. When my kids got off the bus, they ran to my office. I got to be with them and teach them things and show things. I want to tell you, you know why kids turn out against the church? Because they've heard their mom and daddy roast everybody on the way home from church. And I'm telling you, if you want your kids to grow up loving the Lord and loving his church, you love the Lord and you love his church. Well, I done got wired up now. We're, we're reminded of the third person said, Lord, I'm going to follow me, follow you, but first let me go bid farewell to those. And remember what Jesus said? No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. You say, preacher, it sounds like God's just asking too much. Oh, I, I, I don't know. See, I figured that out a long time ago. I would have, if it had not been for Jesus, I'd be on my way to hell. So I kind of look at it like I'll never be able to do enough for him. I'll never. So I'm going to keep on plugging on. These two men, Caleb and Joshua, followed the Lord completely. I mean, remember they're on a committee of 12 and they've gone down there and it starts out pretty good. They're in a business meeting. Everything looks pretty good. All of them say, yep, it's like everybody says. Man, there's some big grapes over there. There's milk and honey. It's all good. It's all good. But there's some giants over there. We can't take them. There's no way in the world we can take them. But these two men stood up and said, we don't have to take them. God's already given them to us. All we got to do is go possess it. You know what the Bible says about them? I love this. The Bible says they had a different kind of spirit. <laughs> mm, a different. You can major on that for a long time. Thank God these men left nothing undone. Complete disobedience to God. I want us to, every one of us, to completely be obedient to God. Whatever God says, let, let's do it. For the glory of God. We're sitting here at a pivotal time in, in our society and in our world. We don't know what's going to happen during the night. I mean, we really don't. Somebody pushed the wrong button or somebody, I mean, out in Hawaii, they just announced the wrong thing. And the whole world's ready to take on an atomic weapon. You say, how does that happen? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know how it happens. I just know it's happened. And I know that every one of us better be ready when it does happen. Let us go all the way. He said back in Joshua chapter 1, that you may observe to do according to the, all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. I was a music and youth director from 1971 to 1985. 
and, and you've heard, some of you have heard this, if I could have ever found a preacher I could get along with, I'd probably still be leading music. I love music. I just never could find one i get along with. Uh, and, 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 you know, when I look back in reality, it necessarily wasn't their fault. It, it was my fault because I believe God was calling me into the ministry and I refused to do that. And then when I finally said, all right, Lord, I'll do that, then all these church people around me said, well, you can't do that. You're a minister of music. And then I had to go back and figure out, did I surrender to the music or did I surrender to Jesus to do whatever he said do? I mean, if he said do it, then I ought to be able to do it. So I ended up saying and, and telling the Lord, and I'll be honest, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. My big problem in every church I was ever at, I just despise partiality. I despise the people who are hypocrites, and I know we're all hypocrites to a point, but I promised God, I said, God, if you give me a church to preach in, I'm going to tell the truth. Whether they like it or not, I'm going to tell the truth. And I was stupid. I was 30 years old. I thought if you told the truth, people are going to flock in to hear it. Well, man, they're only interested in the truth if it doesn't apply to them. If it applies to their neighbors, they'll sit there and holler, amen. You know, I, I can preach here in this church about homosexuality and all of those things. People will shout me down. But when I start getting in on gossip and and disunity and wanting to have my way and all that. People, they won't shout you down then. They don't want that. But I believe I'm trying with all my heart to fulfill my life to just simply say, Thus saith the Lord. Here's what the word is. If you like it, praise God. If you don't like it, I, I wish I could do something to help you like it. But I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to turn around. I want to do what Joshua and Caleb did. They did everything the Lord called them to do. And it didn't matter what anybody else said. Man, when your own family is on you, you know, hey, been there, done that. It's tough standing up all along when nobody else will stand up with you. That's what Joshua and Caleb did in the midst of all that crowd, said, no, we can take this. There's two men that stood up and said, this is what God said. Let's do it. And because of that, they're the only two men. Only two men. All the rest of them had to die before they could go into the promised land. Let's do what God wants us to do. Got to do it in love, and, and, uh, but let's be unified. I want to tell you, it is more important that we stay together and stand on the Word of God. Father, thank you tonight for not allowing us to come and just study your Word and sing. Thank you for these that are here. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would draw us close to you, that, God, we would love each other, we would stand on the Word of God, and, Lord, when the world mocks us and the Lord, Lord uh, they make fun of us, God, may it just be remembered by us. That, Lord, there's going to come a day when all of this is going to be made straight. It's going to all be cleared up. And the Word of God is already settled in heaven of what's going to happen. So, Lord, we look to you and praise you and thank you for everything. Thank you for this church. 
Lord, thank you that these people have allowed me to pastor this church. Thank you for bringing me to this church. And I pray you'll continue to open the gates of heaven, not for numbers' sake, but, oh, God, there's so many that I looked at just a few moments ago getting off of those buses that need Jesus. He's the only thing going to change their lives. It's the only thing going to get them out of the hole that they're in. And, Lord, help us to be the one that don't give up on them, but carry it through to the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. If you're young and you're energetic, uh, I think we're going to be using some, we're going to move some other stuff from the daycare over here, hopefully prayerfully. Uh, the youth are out early, aren't they, Brother Leroy? Oh, they're eating? Well, good grief. I thought maybe they'd got out early and they've already moved everything. <laughs> Y'all remember uh, Lena Cooper tomorrow, brain auto uh, uh, biopsy at Good Shepherd. Tomorrow morning? Afternoon. afternoon. Tomorrow afternoon. Pray for her. All right? All right. Don't forget prayer requests. Everything's on there. Thank you.